One, Forever Alone, is an ongoing story-based podcast that is a work of fiction. It is created and narrated by J.A. LaRock. You can find this podcast on Himalaya, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Chapter 18 The Invisible Fracture Learning to exit my dreams did not bring an end to my nightmares. Even when the lights in my room would turn on and I could hear my sister talking to her friends on the phone, some mornings I felt as if the nightmares followed me into the waking world. There was a stain left on my soul from the events in my dream. At times, I did not even remember what the dream was about. But what I did know, and what I would feel throughout the day, that a piece of me was taken during the night and was never returned. That is a nightmare you can never awaken from. I didn't want to open my eyes. The cold floor, the chilling feeling surrounding my body, and the aching pain coursing through me told me where I had returned to. How long I laid there, I could not say. When I finally opened my eyes, a light shining from the top of the stairs surprised me. It did not seem normal. It was calling me to it. That calling aside, I still didn't want to continue. I wondered, why would one keep going if heaven is the dream and hell is reality? There was no figure standing over me. Whatever I saw or did not see was gone. I pulled myself to my feet. I did not want to think about what I had just been through. All I wanted was to reach the top of the stairs and find the source of the light. Each step caused a radiating pain throughout my body. I would say that it was due to the fall, but I felt it was much more than that. At the top of the stairs, I could see the light was coming from the first classroom on the left. The hallway was dark. There were no other lights, not even the emergency ones I had seen in the basement before. I entered the classroom and found the source of the light, a street lamp outside in the distance. There was nothing calling me to it. Once again, something inside me was playing games and I was sick of it. It was not just anger, even though I wished that that was all it was. Maybe then I could reason myself out of it, but it was a feeling I knew was coming. I just did not expect it to arrive so soon. Despair. Outside the window, the clear night sky brought me no comfort. Lights from the street lamps, homes, and businesses shined as if they were occupied, but the silence was still there. I looked out over the courtyard to the street. My mind had nothing of value to tell me. I was exhausted in every sense of the word. I stepped back and slid down the wall and sat on the ground. 
I rested my head against my knees. I blamed the tears flowing from my eyes on fatigue. I was now lying to myself. Yet another sign that maybe I was losing my mind. I have always had the ability to think things through, to rationalize as a fallback to any issue or situation I encountered. My unchecked emotions were not allowed to blur the lines between what I knew was the truth and what I wanted the truth to be. To me, adaptation was about dealing with the situation in front of you, even if you did not fully understand it, but with the notion that in time and with concentrated thought, that all the answers would eventually be revealed. I sat there in that empty classroom for an unknown amount of time. I sat in that empty classroom for an unknown amount of time. Eventually, I lifted my head from my knees and looked at the empty desks through eyes blurred by tears and a mind unsettled by the memories, dreams, and hallucinations I had been victim to. I was broken. It had not been 24 hours since this had begun and I was already defeated. Unfortunately, I did not know how to properly surrender. There were several more moments of true silence in my mind before thoughts began to come back through again. A reboot, Christine called it. It was a technique her grandmother taught her. Christine suffered from anxiety attacks when she was younger. Her grandmother believed that mental and psychological issues could be solved through meditation and thought control. While I credited Christine's grandmother for believing in thought control, I tried my best to ignore her meditation advice. That was until Christine helped me clear my mind. Not long after Jonathan and I had our final argument, I showed up at her door extremely upset. Later on, she told me she had never seen me like that before. I did not even realize how upset I was. My thoughts were clouded with conversations Jonathan and I had and what exactly had gone wrong. Christine sat me on her bed and told me to close my eyes. She slid her hand underneath my shirt as she pressed her thumb into the center of my back. Concentrate on the pressure, she said. I did not even feel like trying, but she kept repeating that phrase over and over again. I closed my eyes and focused on where her thumb was, just to drown her out. I just wanted her to stop talking. I had the darkness. Now all I needed was the silence. Then, in an instant, it was as if I had left the outside world and turned inward. It was brief, but for a few seconds, there was nothing. The pressure was even gone, as was her voice, her very presence. Then it all came rushing back as if the floodgates to a dam had been forced open. I opened my eyes, and I felt better. She smiled, turning me towards her and kissing me. What did you do? I asked her. 
I rebooted you. Christine had helped me, and I was grateful for that, and yet at the same time disturbed of her ability to do that to me. For a moment, I felt ashamed for feeling that way, and yet the truth was that my mind and control over it was very important to me. I was sure that I would need more reboots in the future, but I promised myself I would learn a technique to use on my own, a self-reboot, as it were. My self-reboot only caused me to dwell on what the doctor had said to me. I have heard of cases where hallucination was so strong that a person can become trapped inside it forever. The question was, what world made more sense to believe in? One where everyone had disappeared seemingly in an instant? Or a world where I suffered a mental collapse, was committed, and somehow became trapped again. I did not want to sit there anymore, feeling sorry for myself. I picked myself up from the floor and walked over to the teacher's desk. There were several notebooks stacked neatly on top of one another. I picked one up and looked inside. It was a book report on The Stand by Stephen King. I remembered reading that book. I wish there was an evil here I could fight against. I wish I had my own Abigail to lead me down the right path. But I had nothing. I had no one. With nothing left for me at the school, I climbed out the window and walked towards the motorcycle. The smell of Chicago burning was everywhere. My thought was perhaps this void world engulfed in flames would eventually burn itself into inexistence. Part of me wanted to continue my search, not just to find out if there was a reason for all of this, but also, I couldn't forget about the letter Christine had written to me. Home was the best place to go, to continue roaming the streets at night after everything that had happened would be foolish. I revved the engine on my motorcycle before heading east on Armitage Avenue. Passing each car, I still looked inside, just in case. I looked up at the building, surprised at how many apartments and homes had their lights turned on. It almost made me want to search them. Almost. I had decided that for now, in order to continue my search, I would need to accept this world. This was not because I wanted to, but to believe in what Dr. Leaves told me, then I should do nothing because nothing I do would matter if this were all in my mind. If I were still in that hospital bed, then the only way to free myself would be to find out why I'm here in this world. And to do that, I would have to go on the history that I knew, my experiences, my memories, based on this reality. I reached Lincoln Avenue and could see a cloud of smoke and flames coming from Lincoln Park. I almost ignored it and continued on. After witnessing the fire burning on Wells Street, seeing another one almost did not matter. I was becoming desensitized, but my curiosity remained intact. 
I rode past Clark Street and realized the fire was coming from the zoo. The fire was spread out across the main zoo entrance. There was debris everywhere, but I could not make out what had happened. I parked my bike on the street and made my way to the entrance. It was hard to see. The smoke was dark, thick, and gray. It was getting hard to breathe. I covered my face with my sleeve and pushed through. To the right of the entrance, I found the cause of the fire. I stood before it. I could not believe what I was seeing. A commercial airliner had crashed, leaving a trail of destruction from the southeast corner of the zoo leading up to the polar bear tank. The plane had broken in half. The rear of it had crashed into one of the habitat buildings. The front half sat teetering on the edge of the polar bear tank. It made sense that if people vanished in an instant, it would not only be cars that would continue to function until coming to a stop, but even so, to see a plane broken in half in flames was frightening. I walked closer to the guardrail before the tank and found a way to climb into the plane's cabin. Fear was kept in check by curiosity. I slowly stepped over the railing. It was a small jump through the smoke and into the plane. As soon as I was inside, I was already ready to leave. The smoke was everywhere, choking me. I was not there looking for people but confirmation of what I had already knew. The oxygen masks were deployed. This could have happened after the event when the plane started its descent. Just like in the street and in Starbucks, items laid on the floor and the seats of the plane. The luggage was still stored overhead or underneath the seats. At the cockpit door, I was upset to find it was still locked and intact. While not a pilot, I would have been able to read any gauges that may have still been active. The smoke was growing thicker. I was running out of air. With nothing else to see, I started walking towards the rear exit when the plane began to slide into the tank. I ran as fast as I could and blindly jumped from the opening at the rear of the plane. I hit the ground hard and rolled trying to soften the impact. The plane slipped into the tank and fell into the habitat setting below. I just sat there for a moment, watching the fires continue to burn, wondering why I continued to fight so hard to survive. Yet again, another chance for me to free myself from this existence came and went. All I had done with that endeavor was to add more scrapes and bruises, and more pain. I pulled myself to my feet. I was going to head back to my motorcycle when something in the distance caught my eye. The Helen Broch Primate House was the only building I could access that was not destroyed or blocked by fire. I found the entrance unlocked and walked inside to complete darkness. There was something bothering me from the beginning. When I first left my home, I looked into the park and up to the sky and I saw that there were no animals. Christine's fish tank was also empty, as was the polar bear tank. I had to find out if there were only people that were gone, or everything else. 
The smell of the primate house brought some hope, but the silence inside did not. With the door closing behind me, the sound triggered something. It was a memory, but it was as if I could see this one, like I was witnessing it from the outside of my own body. A ghost being shown events of its life. There were people inside now, but their faces were not clear. The only ones that I could make out clearly were my mother's and Ashley's. I wondered if this next memory would be a clue or another misdirection. Next time. Chapter 19.